0: And welcome to this week's edition of The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge Television, brought to you by your friends at Ditchwitch. Bass Edge Television is on Wild TV in Canada, and we're on the Versus Network all the way through of June of two thousand and eight. This is outdoors Dan Young, and it's my pleasure to introduce you, the host of Bass Edge Television, Aaron Martin, better known as Bluegill by his friends and family. Aaron, how are you doing?
1: <laughs> I'm doing great, Dan. Just uh, you know, just happy to be here on the Edge with you.
0: Well, you know, I look forward <laughs> to it every week. I it's always just great having on the Edge with you. Well yeah. You know, it makes me proud going around the country telling everybody I got a friend named Bluegill. That's right. Yeah. Hey, you know what? Off on aside, we're going to have a good uh podcast this week because we're going to be learning about keeping it shallow and really by one of the one of the better fishermen in the country uh, and no offense Aaron, but uh Boy Duckett and you know what, he really gets into shallow fishing with frogs. Boy, he does. And it was such a great time just to be able to spend time with him. So, uh, it's going to be good. Yeah, we're going to get into that. And you know what, folks? It's all right here on The Edge.
2: You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Brought to you in part by Ditch Witches on Experience
1: the Revolution. Uh oh, look here. I got one. I got one. Look here. <laughs> I mean, he whacked that football jig. The blades will
3: dictate a lot of times the speed of the retrieve or the depth of that bait.
1: Oh, good fish, good fish. Did you see him come off that log?
0: Whoa, look at that soft gun,
1: going, man, that's awesome. You know, you've got to just stay active. Fishing is not easy. Oh, man, that's a toad. This is unbelievable.
0: It's the new year, and Bass Edge is rapidly becoming a really good favorite around the Midwest. I'm hearing a lot of people, Aaron, talk about the TV show, and they're really geared up about season number two, and you guys have got to be a little bit excited about that.
1: Well, we're very excited, you know, and it's not um, it's not just the TV show, Dan, you know, it's, it's all the things, the, the website there, BassEdge.com, you know, having the audio program through the podcast here, but it's just a lot of fun, and there's a lot of great people that's involved with it, and, and that's one of the things that I think you'll see. Uh, Uh, as the season goes on is is the amount of people that's involved in making Bass Edge, you know, really what it is. So, uh, yeah, very, very exciting. Hard to believe, though, that we're quickly approaching uh, the end
0: of January. It goes quick. Man, it does. It does go quick. Hey, and uh, as we said in the opening, Boy Duckett's going to talk to us about frogs this week. And, you know, honestly, I didn't start using a frog until about five, six years ago. I kind of laughed at them when I used to see them in a tackle store going, yeah, right. But you know what? Under the right conditions, those things are deadly.
1: Boy, they are. And, you know, the neat thing is you, you have those two different types of frogs. So one is going to be kind of a hollow body, the traditional frog that has the hook. Uh, buried in the body, uh, it's hollow, and I kind of, you know, there's a lot of different ones. Spro makes some, um, you know, it's called the Kermit. It's, it normally they have those rubber strands that's hanging off the back, but really what we concentrated on it, you follow, was throwing uh, the traditional toad, and and that is is more or less a soft plastic. You know, you put that big five six uh frog hook in those and run it across the the top of the water, and and it makes that just that erratic action. Fish it almost like a buzz bait.
0: Yeah, and then you know what? Spinner baits. Either you love them or you hate them, but I love them. Yeah. I, I think it's one of the most versatile baits out there. Anybody can use it, no matter what kind of technique you want to throw. A spinner bait's going to work, and uh, we're going to learn a little bit more about that with Doctor Who. Uh, actually, with uh, James Nigemire. Oh, it's yep. not. You know, it's not Doctor J, is it? No, actually,
1: it's James Nigamar, But you know what? He's also speaking of Doctor J. Now, wait a minute. What? He could be
0: Dr. J. He could be Dr. James J. James starts with a J. Yeah, he does start with a J. He, he could be the doctor of spinnerbaits. Yeah.
1: Well, actually, he is. He's a, and that's one of the reasons why he's talking about them, because as you well know, you know I love spinnerbaits, and James, uh, that's also one of his go-to baits. And I thought he did just you know a great job on the show. So I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to say, being able to go a little bit more into detail as far as blades, head size, the colors, and which applications that,
0: uh, you, know, that you should
1: throw each of, the, each of the styles of bait in.
0: Yeah, and since we did talk about Dr. J, it would be a miss if we didn't say that Dr. J is going to help us out. He's going to actually show us how to fish our way out of slumps this week. That's right. So it's going to be pretty cool. All right, folks, I tell you what, we need to get going, so we're going to run to a break. We'll be right back on this week's Edge.
2: You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the Tow & Stole Receiver Hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 towing and pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The Toe & Stow Receiver Hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge.
1: All right, we are back on the edge, and joining us this week is the two thousand and seven Bassmaster Classic champion, Boyd Duckett. Boyd, how you doing?
3: I'm doing good, Aaron. Uh, how you been? Uh,
1: it's been it's been great. I'm I'm anxious to get back out. You know, one of the things that uh, about the first of the year coming is you know that it's that much closer to the spawn. Yep. So, Get the
3: spring and we'll start catching fish again. It won't be stuck on cold.
1: That's right. So I understand that uh, you've got a new uh, wrap and everything is underway. And
3: look, well, sure good. do. You know, been working during uh, during the off season, if there is such. Uh, we do a lot of sports shows and spend a lot of time uh, traveling, getting uh, time in for our sponsors, getting a chance to see some of our fan base. You know, up close. We're so busy at the tournaments. There's not a lot of time for that. So a lot of the pros uh, will will uh, go to the go to the boat shows, tackle shows, try to. Try to see everybody during the off season and and yes i 've been working on uh, getting my sponsorship aligned, getting my wrap and shirts and clothing, and all those good things done so uh, proud to say that my uh, my fishing rod manufacturer that 's carrying my signature series line uh e twenty one primarily what i 'm going to be running uh, for a wrap this year it 'll be the uh, the e twenty one carrot stick so look look for the e twenty one carrot stick boat out there
1: well it 's definitely uh, i know you fish with those rods. Uh, uh, obviously all year and those helped uh, helped you go on to win several tournaments last year and uh, of course they're in my favorite color which is orange so <laughs> got them in orange <laughs> That's so. right. you know speaking of that we got to spend some some time together uh specifically on Lake Eufaula last year can you before we get into kind of our thinking and and how you dissected that body of water can you set the stage really for what Lake Eufaula is and 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 how how an angler should approach that body of water
3: you know Lake Eufaula uh, though it has changed a lot in re- in recent years. It's definitely one of the famous lakes in Alabama. Um, probably what it's most famous for is its open water fishing and its ledge fishing. You know, Lake Eufaula has produced tremendous stringers year after year, uh, deep diving crankbaits, big worms and jigs out on the main channel ledges in, you know, 8, 10, 12 foot of water. When you and I were there... Uh, a little bit, uh, it, it sure had changed a lot. It was fall, which is not as good on the ledges as the spring and summer. But, uh, you know, I was a little disappointed uh, that we couldn't get a lot going there on the ledges. And, of course, the plan B to Eufaula, it also is a fantastic shallow water fishery. So you have two things at Eufaula. One is that famous ledge fishing, but it's always been a fantastic, it's a, it's a shallow, uh, you know, really a shallow low, low land reservoir. And uh, and what's changed it so much is this season, you know, 2007 and even 2006, tremendous drought years, record drought years. And so all of the reservoirs here in Georgia, Alabama, uh, even uh, Mississippi, you know, we've we've had to almost regroup how we fished them because when the water drops in a shallow reservoir like Eufaula, if you're used to fishing shoreline cover that has two or three feet of water under it, well, that's out of the water. Right. You know, and then we're fishing areas that normally didn't didn't used to hold fish, but they're obviously not up on the bank. Although some days you think they're up there on the in the woods where you can't get to them, we assume they're still in the water. So, uh, um, it, you know, it, that that's kind of what you and I had to face and and try to establish some new things. A third change for you, follow that that I had very little experience with, is the uh, the milfoil, the grass. That is in so many of the southern lakes we have never had it in Eufaula, and just the last two or three years it's started to come on stronger and stronger. And you know that's just a bass magnet that that uh, milfoil is, and apparently that has changed Eufala also. That was one of the things that that the viewers will get to watch us struggle with is trying to trying to figure out how to fish that uh that, that milfoil. And and uh, that takes a lot of time to go out and find those better places. So you know it's a lot of fun. I mean, one thing about bass fishing, regardless, we all want to go out and have the big days. But the re- the thrill of bass fishing is the hunt. That's right. You know, it's all about finding them. Some days you find a lot, some days you find a little. But the the biggest joy for me is in the process of trying to figure the fish out. To me, that is the value of the day and the enjoyment of bass fishing. So. You know, we still had that.
1: Well, and and the other thing that you know, there, there was another element there. Uh, there was a pretty pretty major weather system that had came through. You know, yeah. right before that. Yeah, <laughs> you to know, mention that, it's it's been a couple of
3: months, but you're right. Uh, actually, the uh, the the fish were were biting better. We had about three or four days of rain, which was very unusual. It was such a dry year, and that, that's some of the very few cloudy days we had all fall. And it rained about three or four days, didn't get much precipitation, but it stayed cloudy and drizzly and uh and the fish actually the bite was pretty good until the clouds went out. It was the post front bluebird day, you know, every bass fisherman has has had to face that and that's what you and I had. So uh you know, when that happens, you you just uh you, you tighten up, you do the best you can, try to try to maximize the, the better fish areas you and I ended up uh keying in on those lily pad fields though they had very little water there were still some good fish left in them and uh, you know we caught some of them
1: and we, we missed some of them sure and you know i i specifically remember because one of the things is you know every day that you go out is not necessarily going to be the textbook perfect day so those conditions chances are at some time in your fishing career you will be faced with whether it be a post front You'll probably be, have those, one of those perfect days. But bottom line is you have to be able to adjust. And, and that's what I gained from you was that you, you really had kind of a pre-planned put together of, of the areas, different things that we would try. Can you walk us through a little bit, you know, concerning the spinnerbait, maybe running up the river and, and just trying to establish that pattern?
3: Yeah, if, uh, you know, if you remember when we originally talked about the show, and that's one of the things I really like about the Bass Edge television show, is people get to see the reality of bass fishing. You know, we're, we're not in these private lakes where you catch them every cast because you know everybody doesn't have access to that but you know it's reality tv when we're out here struggling you know we're supposed to know what we're doing Aaron, but uh, and we do but it's it's uh it's just a process of elimination but but originally we looked uh we checked the ledges we looked for the open water bite it was just really almost non-existent um the eufaula is kind of broke into uh to three areas of the lake you have the mid lake which has a lot of shallow backwater a lot of lily pad fields that type of thing um you have the lower lake which is almost all ledge fishing and open water we eliminated that couldn't get any bites there so it didn't take long to eliminate that we tried to fish that mid area uh which is traditionally pretty good in the fall and then you and i ended up running up the river um you know, chasing some of those grass fish. You know, that was, uh, you know, that seemed to be the pattern that worked the best for us.
1: And do you think that the, was it more of a, of a location situation? Did the river, you know, by running up the river, do you feel that that played uh, a little bit easier into our hands of being able to to target the fish of where they were positioned?
3: Well, you, one thing about running up a river, a lot of times it, it makes your uh, it makes your venue smaller. And it, and sometimes if you're not getting bites, that is the best area to go. Normally, if there is any current or flow in the lake, you'll experience it. The farther up the river you go, the, the tighter it comes. It's not outside of its banks, uh, except for in the sloughs and flats. So uh, I think that contributes to it. And uh, more than anything, it, what you and I were looking for was a change in environment. You know, if you're not catching them doing what, what you're doing or doing what, you, what they're supposed to be doing, You know, don't be afraid to change that environment. Um, You know, it's better than giving up. You know, I don't ever give up. I just keep looking.
1: Well, and I know that's one of the things that you brought up in past interviews, but you also brought up during the show was, you know, if, if you don't think or if you don't have the confidence in what you're doing, to whether it be if it's in a tournament situation to win the tournament, or in your practice, or just in your day of fishing, you don't mind leaving what you're doing and totally abandoning that and trying to come up with something new.
3: Never quit trying, I tell you. You know, you uh, you want to give it a fair chance, but I think a lot of guys are unsuccessful on the bad days, especially those are the days that that separate the fishermen, and uh, and those are the days that you need to work the hardest and keep and stay very open-minded. Uh, and if it's not working, you know, change. If the if all the fish are supposed to be shallow, but you're not catching them, you better fish deep.
1: Right. You know, and try. well, I I remember on you know we started out in the morning, kind of going after that that top water uh, slash you know spinnerbait bite. Then we moved out to the ledges, and then what we found was that again we changed back to what we started out with, and it was like that. You know, we did have a little bit of success out on that ledge, but then when we came back to throwing on those lily pads, it's like that they just all of a sudden turned on. Yeah,
3: well, you know, that just, that turned out to be the deal, and it took some hours to figure that out, but uh, we didn't waste our day. We went back to the highest percentage, though the bike wasn't as good as we wanted it to be, That that was the highest percentage area for that given day, and I try to keep
1: myself in those high percentage areas. You know, and part of that discovery was that, you know, when we were, I, I think we were sitting on the outside edge, maybe throwing a, a spinnerbait, you heard some noise that was taking place, and, and, and we actually saw some fish busting back in the pads, and, and that's really what triggered us to to really move in what I would consider ultra shallow.
3: Yeah, and that was unusual to me, too, because with the water down and the bite being off, I really expected the fish to have pulled out. And and you and I discovered, which there again, you know, stay open-minded bass fishing because they, they don't read the book. They don't know what they're supposed to do like sure. we do. But uh, you're right. We were out there fishing really a channel ledge and heard that activity back in there. And we got so shallow, our trolling motor stayed uh, in the mud half the time. And we were still making a full cast to the bank. And that's where the better fish were.
1: Well, and how key, you know, I specifically remember that day, the wind was blowing just a little bit. You know, we were trying to target these fish of where we couldn't even get the boat, you know, back into, like you said, but that's where the fish were. So we we had to be able to make those long casts. And, you know, throwing that braided line and, and you know, having your line sway over other lily pads, can you talk a little bit about terminal tackle selection and, and things for that application?
3: Yes. That, uh, when I'm in that type of situation or, or fishing grass, I like to fish all my top order baits as far away from me as I can, and the reason is you get a lot more short strikes when that fish comes up close to the boat, and he can—I uh, guess when he comes out of the water, he either sees you or sees the boat. But it certainly changes the way they hit the bait. So I like to throw, uh, like we were throwing those frogs that day, as far away from me as I can. That being said, in that heavy cover, you need good heavy tackle. You know, you, I, I fish a seven-three, heavy action carrot stick. Uh, braided line where I can get a good hook set at at a long cast, and uh, and then I use a high speed reel where I can really take the slack up quick. So definitely, it's a it's a heavy rod, power bait, uh, power fishing uh, type technique.
1: One of the other things that I was amazed at was the amount of time that you allow that fish to once it once it broke on the bait and grabbed it, how long you allow that fish to have it.
3: Well, you know, I think. Uh, uh, Maybe it's from, uh, I'm not sure what it is, I guess it's the fact that it's a topwater bite, and a lot of anglers, when they get that topwater strike, you're so anxious to get the hook set, but really, a plastic frog, uh, uh, like this horny toad that I was throwing, it's just a piece of plastic, like a plastic worm, and a bass will hold plastic unweighted for a long time, and definitely, I I wait until I... You know, that fish takes the bait under, and I wait until that fish loads the rod. I can feel him pulling down on me and loading the rod to make sure I get an absolute hookup, especially on that long cast. So uh, don't hit those frogfish too quick.
1: Well, and you know the other thing, there was a, you had a really, really good bite that day. <laughs> I yeah, mean, <laughs> I remember that one, Aaron. I, you
3: always remember those big ones. That was definitely a giant that bit it, and uh, just uh, you know didn't get a hook set on it.
1: How how common is that in in frog fishing? You know, you'll see that it's it's
3: uh, it's not a uh, it's not the kind of fishing that you're gonna. Yeah, I would say you catch sixty or seventy percent of your bites. You know, you're going to lose 30% of them. It's just part of topwater, you know, in that heavy mat, and in that grass and lily pads. You're going to miss a certain number of them, but it's still a lot of fun just to get the bite, isn't it? Oh,
1: absolutely. You know, and I can remember, too, we were in a situation to where, you know, of course, because of the limits of television, we couldn't show everything. But there was a lot of bites that, that we actually missed that they were showing themselves, but it was like the fish just weren't really committing to the bait.
3: Yeah, probably most of that was caused from that post-front condition. Um, you know, we talked about the four days of uh, light rain and cloud cover, and then you and I had the first day after the clear day and that bluebird sky, and the fish just weren't very active. Unfortunately, the vegetation we were fishing didn't really allow for much other than the top water. It, it still proved to be the bait to throw because those lily pad fields are so massive. Uh, to take just a plastic worm or something and try to work it through there we'll just never cover enough water you know the fish are too scattered for that so uh you know that was a, a great example of one of those days where you're just going to have to put up with getting a lot of short strikes you know we we probably caught 50% of our fish maybe that day right yeah, yeah. and uh, some days are like that and of course on a real good day you might catch 80 or 90% of them but uh you're still uh, you still getting the bites. That's, that's letting you know you're in the right area.
1: All right, so do you think on days like that, is it more about location or is it about covering water and then refining it after the fact?
3: Probably covering water. I mean, you get those kind of days... Um, You know, obviously, if you get several bites in one area, that's a key area, and you want to fish it out good. Now, I will oftentimes throw a backup bait behind the topwater. We did some of that, throw a a Bucinko or a plastic worm or something in there, you know, try to catch that fish that missed it. But, you know, when you get in those lily pad fields, those fish just get in there. They're scattered. They don't really school tight, and you just got to cover a lot of water.
1: Any other thing, you know, when it comes to targeting lily pads or vegetation, you know when you're in a post frontal situation what do you think is you know the the key really for for executing and, and for getting bites
3: the uh the post front makes it tough one thing that you and I did we found a few key lily pad fields or areas in lily pad fields and we fished them multiple times we we fished them more than once some of those better areas and on a really good day, you know, it's not a situation where you're going to put the trolling motor down and you're going to catch them everywhere. So there are going to be some key areas. I like to cover a lot of water, but don't forget to go back and fish those areas where you've got a bite or two. If you get multiple bites an hour later, you'll probably get another bite or catch another bass there. And that'll maximize, even though it's a bad day and you're not going to catch a lot of fish, it'll still maximize what you catch that day.
1: Well, in our in our closing minute here, Boyd, is one of the things that I remember when we went back that those fish actually did adjust a little bit. You know, we, we started catching some, you know, uh, r- really a little bit closer to the boat, which was ultimately a little bit closer to the main channel.
3: Mm-hmm. I did. I remember that now also. and uh, and And so you do, you know... That goes back to staying open-minded. It's very, very seldom do bass do the same thing all day, and very seldom do they do exactly the same thing two days in a row. They'll still be in the same area, and you can catch them, but there'll be adjustments you have to make and that's one of the things, tournament fishing, that, that I work really hard to do is to constantly try to be aware of where I get a bite and why. And just like you would noted, we were catching them in a foot and a half or two feet of water, and by late in the day, by that evening, it seemed like the better bites were coming out in maybe three or four feet of water. Still the same lily pad field. They just, uh, for whatever reason, chose to move to the deeper water. Don't know if the bait moved there or what the cause was. But the important thing is that you recognize it happens. You don't have to know why, just recognize it happened.
1: Well Boyd, unfortunately we are out of time. but if you have a question for Boyd, make sure that you go send him an email at Prosph at bassedge.com and we'll see to it that he gets that Boyd. Uh, thank you so much for your time not only on the show but on today's podcast and we wish you uh, the best of luck in the
0: upcoming season.
3: Well, thank you for that Aaron. Always a pleasure.
0: Well Aaron, I got to tell you, it, it's always neat seeing the difference between different uh, I don't I don't want to say it wrong, but organizations you got Bassmasters, you got the FLW. Um, You've got several other fishing organizations out there. I think every division or every different organization has a different approach to things. And, boy, Boyd Duckett really goes into detail. uh, Like, I really don't know who else goes into that much detail about how to use those baits. And even even though he does, it's easy to understand.
1: Yeah, and, you know, that's one of the things i appreciate about Boyd is, is just his outlook. And I think, you know, all... All million dollars that he won last year and, and the titles aside, bottom line is of how he dissects, and that's one of the reasons why he's also so very successful, you know, in businesses from the standpoint that uh, it's just his outlook, and, and there's no secret, you know, as far as why that transfers over into his fishing.
0: Mm-hmm. I do like his name, Boyd Duckett. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that'd make a great t-shirt. Hey, did you get hit? No, I ducked it. <laughs> I think that's awesome. <laughs> that's his new branding, you know. I'm telling you. <laughs> that is.
1: So, but, you know, just spending that time with him there on follow was just, you know, it, it was a tough day of fishing, as he talked about in the interview. But bottom line, you know, you still have to be able to figure those out. And I just appreciate his outlook, uh, being able to see him function you know when the conditions are tough, uh, and see how he adjusted by moving into the shallows, getting away from the ledges. You know, picking up that frog. Um, it was just really, really good. And I thought he did an excellent job of explaining and communicating that to the to the our, our listeners really uh, of how to uh, make themselves a better better fisherman.
0: Yeah. Now, again, with my limited background on frogs in the last five years, what what do you guys really recommend as the pros to keep those weedless? Do you use the do you use the little wire guards or what do you guys actually? Well, do? the I really like the the hook. Um, a lot of them come
1: in the package with the frogs, and uh-huh. it's a, a hook that has a little spring on it that you can screw it into the head of the frog. And it's a big, you know, six odd big wide gap. It has a little bit of a of an odd bend up at the up at the top where it actually screws into the head, and that allows you to uh, basically hook that into the body of the frog, which remember, it's normally most of the majority of those frogs that uh, we were referring to, those are soft plastic and, and they're not uh, necessarily hollow inside, but you just skin hook that, rig that like just like you would any other Texas bait.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And by doing that, you know, when you make that cast, that, that frog just comes uh, really skimming across the top of the water, that hook point is buried in the body. And uh, remember what Boyd said is as far as you've got to allow that bass to get that in its mouth and give them enough time to get that pulled under because a lot of times when they're coming out of that vegetation, you know, they're crashing through lily pads or the grass beds, you know, allow them to get that down, pull that frog under before you set the hook. And I just could not believe of the amount of time that he allowed that those fish to to hang on to that bait before he jerked back on it.
0: Sure. Now, braided line or monofilament? Braided line. Braided, I was going to say. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. And and matter of fact, during the show, uh, we did kind of a
1: test. Um, I, I picked up some monofilament, you know, Boyd stuck with the braid, but it's not that the braided line will break or anything. Or I'm sorry, the monofilament you know will break. It just comes to the standpoint that a there's no stretch. So when fishing that frog, you know, a lot of times, as you, you could tell from the show, we were making really, really long casts as far as what we could get cast, because we couldn't get the boat in any closer because the water, water was so shallow. Right. Um, so, you know, you can imagine having 50 yards, you know, 40 to 50 yards of line that's out there. Well, that model has a lot of stretch, so that's one thing. It has too much stretch you, stretch, you can't drive the hook through the mouth. Secondly is that it doesn't cut through the vegetation like braid
0: does, so just a couple of hints there to keep in mind when throwing those frogs. Well, I was kind of thinking the braid would be the way to go. Well, yeah. uh, That was a good segment and Boyd, Mr. Duckett, sir. You have my, my hat's off to you because that was a neat segment. You
1: know, I, I think it'll be very, very unique to see how he comes off of a year like he had uh, really in 2007 and puts himself in a position in 2008. I think you're going to see a lot out of him.
0: I think you will too. Folks, we need to take another short break, and when we come back, we're going to be back with the Inside Edge right here on the Edge.
3: When I'm fishing in a tournament, time is critical. I need fast, easy access to my lures. My Cook's Go-To Tackle System keeps my bait organized, tangle-free, and within easy reach. It installs in minutes under any deck lid, maximizing the storage space in my boat. And its durable construction lasts even through the harshest conditions. Get organized with Cook's Tackle System by calling 1-888-390-8780 or online at CooksGoTo.com.
2: Welcome back to The Edge, brought to you in part by Ditch Witches on establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility.
1: All right, we are back on The Edge and joining us once again this week to talk about spinnerbaits, and that is James Nygmire. James, uh, thanks again for being part of The Edge. Thank you so much for having me on, Aaron. You know, uh, James, i got to tell you, you went after my own heart because I love, you know me, I love throwing a spinnerbait. But I guess my question is, you know, do we overcomplicate, uh, you know, the technique of, of throwing a spinnerbait?
4: It can be really overcomplicated, and, and really my approach to fishing in general is to keep it simple. Really, I try to. So, you know, there's, there's three basic things you want to look at, whether it's head design and blade design and just and the weight overall weight of it those are the three things you want to take into consideration you can really adjust the level it's going to run at and uh, the different things that it can do and the way it can appeal to the fish in the cover that they're in
1: so maybe we can break those down one by one you know starting okay. let's say with with head design
4: the head design if you are if you're going to fish around grass the best thing to do is take like a minnow profile or a slender profile head design something that's going to come through the blades of grass a little easier it's going to be a little more sleek as it kind of comes through grass. And then if you want to fish around hard objects, say wood or even rock, I like a more rounded head, something that's going to be a little more rounded, basically. more So, is more so basic. it can
1: kind of deflect off of, you know, when you're bumping that into that structure? That's exactly
4: right. Kind of like, think of it like a crankbait with a big bill on it. It can really move into the rocks and move into the wood and bounce off structure that way. And that's the same basic principle with the spinnerbait
1: head. Well, and a lot of times, you know, when in talking about that head design, a lot of times the only way that a fish will react is if you are making contact with that structure.
4: Absolutely. You know, coming in contact with cover, whether it's a jig, a worm, or a spinnerbait, a lot of times that'll be the one key thing that makes them bite.
1: And, and before we segue away from the head design, what about as far as the weight? Because the weight does, you know, whether it be a, a quarter or three-eighths, a half-ounce, what are some of the things that you use there on selecting what weight of spinnerbait to throw?
4: Wait, the weight and, and the blade design and the blade type or size are going to kind of play with each other. You know, if you're going to throw a big half-ounce weight, half weight spinnerbait, then you're going to probably want to, yeah, a bigger-sized blade to kind of keep it high in the water column. And and the same thing goes with, like, a quarter ounce. You're going to use a little bit smaller uh, blade, like, say, a 2 or a 3, number 3 willow leaf, to keep the quarter ounce high in the water column as as well. And, and so you can kind of play the two different components of the spinnerbait off of each other. And, and it's important to take consideration in, in how fast you want to move a spinnerbait. A rural leaf is what you want. If you want to slow it down, a Colorado. And if you want something in between, an Indiana is definitely the best choice.
1: Okay. And also, as as part of that, you know, the speed uh, comes into the vibration, you know, of of the the amount of vibration that those different types of blades are putting off. How much does that play a role?
4: Uh, You know, it's it's also a very important role. You know, speed and depth are, are two of the biggest things in trying to figure out exactly where those fish are. If you're going to fish a bait that you want to move a little faster, that, that willow leaf is definitely the choice. And if you want something that you're going to slow down, kind of slow roll, or move it around cover a little slower, that Colorado or Indiana will get it deeper in the water column as, as you slow it down. And so um, if, you're just gonna, if you want to just slow your retrieve, a willow leaf will, will ha- actually fall faster than a Colorado. And so those are, those are things you want to take into consideration. You want a, uh, a slower fall, you want a faster presentation. You definitely want to play with different blade designs and weights of spinnerbait heads to kind of find out exactly what those fish want. What's going to tr- trigger them to
1: bite? So is that based more on, on the aggressiveness of the fish as far as what? Is it based on water you know, water clarity? Uh, can you give us maybe a pointer or two on, on maybe a, a general all-purpose you know, situation?
4: Definitely. If, if water clarity is a big key. You know, those fish are such sight feeders, and when they can see it from a distance, they're gonna, you know, it kind of opens up the range in which they'll, how far they'll move to go get a bait. And so, you know, willily, moving it a little bit faster, you can get away with a, a little bit faster presentation, even in clear water where they may not be as aggressive, but they can see further. So when you're fishing in dirtier water, you might want to slow it down and use something with a lot more vibration like a big Colorado or an Indiana to get them to kind of feel that bait as it comes through the water when they can't see it as well. So, yeah, definitely slowing it down, speeding it up. Those are things you're going to want to play with in order to really get them to speak to you and really tell you what they want.
1: Okay, and in our last closing minute, what about skirt color?
4: Skirt color I try to keep pretty simple as well. Chartreuse and white, and white are your basics around stained to, to, uh, to heavily stained water, or even muddy water. I'd use a solid chartreuse. And then when you're fishing some clear waters, like on table rock or or some of those highland reservoirs, you know, those translucent skirts, metal flake colored with not not a whole lot of pigment to them, those are the colors that I'd, I'd really play with and, and try to match the hatch kind of. If you notice the bait fish are kind of a blue or a green, if you kind of look at if you happen to see a shad, you can definitely match the hatch with those those uh, lighter colored skirts or, or translucent
1: well, James, certainly great information, and once again, uh you know it's hard to believe that we're out of time. that went by quick it, you know, <laughs> what, yeah. what I'd like to say to some of the listeners if they if you know I'd love to
4: hear from some of them if they go on to BassEdge.com and and click on pro staff at BassEdge.com dot com
1: and send us an email. I'd love to hear from them. Well, fantastic, well, James, I know we're going to hear from you in the future, but uh in the meantime, take care and we'll look forward to hearing from you again. Thank you, you too, Aaron.
2: Give any type of boat the edge with MegaWare Keel Guard.
4: It's simple to install, and we
2: can now beach our boat anywhere.
1: If you own a boat, you need one of these.
2: MegaWare Keel Guard protects the keel of your boat from sand abrasion, from underwater obstructions, even concrete
4: boat ramps. Kit started under $140. And best yet, it's guaranteed to keep on protecting for life. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard.
0: Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Welcome back to The Edge. Well, that was a pretty good inside edge. And, you know, I'm going to ask you something. You know, Colorado versus an in Indiana. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you, to me, I like using the bigger blades because it displ- displaces more water versus more, you get better vibration. Why do people mix and match? Well, a lot of it has
1: to do with just um, what you want the bait to do. You know, a Colorado blade, an Indiana really, is. It, remember, is a hybrid uh, like James said, across between the willow leaf and the Colorado. Colorado traditionally is going to put off more vibration. Um, the bait is going to more than likely stay up higher depending upon the actual weight, but if you're looking at sheer blade size, it's going to stay up a little bit higher uh, in the water column because it's putting off more vibration. You can reel it slower, whereas a willow leaf uh, doesn't put off as much vibration, but it's, it's a spinner bait that you can work faster. So, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times with the fish are lethargic, and uh, don't want quite as much of a rapid-moving bait, you know, that Colorado. Or if you're in stained water where you really want that big thumping uh, where the bait or or the, I should say, the fish are depending on more upon
0: sound and vibration to locate the bait, um, you know, that's going to be the the applications that you want to go with. Yeah, I, I need to take a step back. I think I just actually, I had them backwards, didn't I? I said the Indiana is going to displace more water. The Colorado actually does. That's correct. Okay. That's right. You know what? I can't keep them straight sometimes.
1: Well, uh, that—that's the. You know, there are a lot of them out there now. Then you throw the hybrids and everything else into it. But you know, always keep in mind that uh, really you—you have to go back to what you're confident in. And if that is a willow leaf or a Colorado, or you know, throwing the Indiana blade in there in between them. Um, just bottom line, pick one up, get used to it, know what it does, understand it, and then you can start building your skill set from there.
0: There you go. Hey, folks, usually on the on the podcast, we were doing product giveaways and stuff. Now, that has all moved to the website, and uh, we're going to have a newsletter going out, and there's also places on the website for you to sign up. But we want you to still send in your listener email questions, and we want you to simply do this. Go to ProStaff at com. That's ProStaff. At bassedge dot com, and everything will be answered on the web. And sometimes we will still answer them here. It depends on what kind of mood Aaron's in.
1: No, actually,
0: it's just your questions I won't answer here. <laughs> yeah. Okay, fine. I'll just get Boyd back uh, on. Right. I like talking to him better anyway. So is but, that a hyperlink? Uh, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Hyper hyper pro staff, at BassEdge.com. Pro staff at BassEdge.com. com, <laughs> or you can just go to the regular website, which is bassedge dot com, and it's all information all right there. Hey, uh, next week on Bassett's TV, I know that I'll really enjoy this because I love smallmouth fishing, and they're going to be. Uh, Sean is going to be teaching us about offshore smallies, and that had to have been pretty neat. Oh, it was it was fantastic. You know,
1: going a just the sheer size of Lake Erie is is unreal, but those smallmouth. I mean, we really had a challenge of uh, while filming because they just fight. They never gave up. You know, they were fighting all the way to the boat. Here we're throwing six pound, six and eight pound test line. And, you know, just the, to feel that and to experience that, I can promise you it's it's going to be a, a lot of fun to watch.
0: Yeah, you know, and I don't know how you feel about this, but I know you and I hail almost from the same area. And growing up, I spent a lot of time on the Burbus and the Merrimack Rivers and, you know, tremendous smallmouth fisheries. Absolutely. And, you know, you know and,
1: it's amazing the
0: the size
1: that you can take a, you know, an 8 or a 10-inch smallmouth and just the sheer force that those fish have. You no, know, especially
0: if you get down to light tackle. Yes, It's just a lot of fun. Hey, and if you miss Bass Edge TV, don't forget, just check us out on the Edge, because Sean is also going to walk us through how to fish large bodies of water for good bass action, right? Yep. All right, well, that's going to wrap it up for this week. I want to thank our fine folks at Ditch Witch for helping us out. And, as always, we'll be right back next week right here on the Edge.
2: Bass Edge would like to thank the following sponsors who make the Edge audio program possible. Ditch Witch. Mothers waxes and polishes. B&W trailer hitches. Megaware keel guard. Cooks tackle management systems. Ardent rule the water. Legend boats. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Superstar batteries. And the Clark's Hill Partnership of Georgia. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.